Hey everybody, good morning. I have the pleasure of announcements this morning. Hope everybody had a lovely, lovely week. Uh, our first announcement is this Thursday is meet meeting for men. We would really encourage you to join us and enjoy some time with uh, eating and fellowship. And um, yeah, the, it's a really good time that we really appreciate uh, participation in. Um, there is a clipboard going around for Mary Ann Peabody, she hurt her hand and could use some help with some meals this week. And ideally, they're meals that can be easily prepared with one hand, uh, microwavable things, stuff like that. So this is going to go around as soon as I come down. Uh, as a reminder, committee chairs, please hand in your reports to the church office, ideally by the first week of November, so we can get those all compiled and ready. And then do our monthly memory verse, so everybody can stand with me. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it does not know him. 1 John 3, 1. All right, well, hey, good morning, church. We have an exciting day, yes? All right, you know me, I like to just practice because baptisms are a big deal. They are a big celebration. There you go, let's practice. So we have five people this morning that are coming to say, look at what Jesus has done in my life. And so, amen, amen. So um, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and I'm going to have them come down. Would, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we just say yes and amen to everything that all five people are coming out to say. Lord, we, we say yes and amen to your work in our life, that you lower us, that, you, that we die to our sin, and we're raised to life in Christ when we place our faith in you, Jesus. And we just say thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray and celebrate this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to have the ladies go first. So it looks like we've got Katie and Cassie Shields. And so um, each person just has a little uh, little testimony to share a little bit about how they came to Christ. So do you want me to hold the mic for you or you got it? So what I wanted to share is a small story, part of a much bigger picture. Um, so usually I'm a person who struggles with worrying and overthinking. So back in April, when my mom went to the hospital and was flown to Casper overnight, I struggled a lot, and I also had to take the ACT the next day. So I was pretty stressed out. I was anxious. I was worried. And when I got to youth group that night, I was just, like, totally out of it. Didn't have any sleep, was out of it. And so people noticed, especially Shane. He pulled me aside and talked to me, and it was kind of a reminder to me that people were there for me. And so the next week at church, there was a meal signed up for our family, and I knew that God had seen that I was worried and stressed, especially trying to, with my mom being sick and my brother and sister. And so I knew that he had seen that and provided a church full of supportive people who have continued to support me. And I just really felt like he had seen my worries and was showing me that I wasn't alone and that these people were here for me. And now anytime I have a bad week or I come to church and I've kind of had a tired morning, I also see that whenever I work with the little kids in the nursery and children's church. I kind of see God's light and love and joy in them. And so it makes me really happy to be here. And he just continually shows me that I'm not alone and that even when I am anxious, that there's people here for me. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, one of the realities of baptism is this. It's like a celebration. A baptism, and I always like to compare it to my wedding ring, okay? 
So uh, my wedding ring, when I take it off, like I just did, not that you can see it very well from there, um, does that mean I'm not married anymore? No, it doesn't, right? But it's just a symbol, and it tells everybody, look, I'm married, and she's awesome, right? So when we get baptized, it's a symbol to say, hey, look at what God has done. It's like that telling of the world, look at what Jesus has done. He paid the price for my sin. And he rose again from the grave, and he gave us, or gave you, Katie, his righteousness. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and put this mic down, and I expect to hear a lot of cheering. Okay, church, let's do this. Jesus paid the price for your sin on the cross. Do you believe that he rose again from the grave? All right. Okay. Katie, my sister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Cassie Shield. So growing up, I always went to church with my family, and I knew that it was something that was important to them, especially my mom. Although it was difficult for me to find stability in a church, we moved churches a lot, which made it difficult for little me and her relationship with the Lord. However, I remember when I was 12, and God showed me something. He showed me what life without him was like. And since then, I promised myself that I would never be that far from Jesus again. And that's when my faith grew. In the past three years, I've had plenty of ups and downs in my walk with the Lord, and I know that there will be many more. But I also know that God is going to keep walking with me, and I will never stray from his side again. So today, I get to show everybody here how God has changed my life, and I hope that he has and will change yours. All right, Cassie, do you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin on that cross? Yes. Do you believe that he gave you his righteousness by faith? All right, Cassie, it is by your profession of faith that I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I've got Mr. Nathaniel here, and uh, he's excited for the mic. So here we go. Today I'm getting baptized. And I believe everything in the Bible is truth and that Jesus, my Lord and Savior, is true. My Savior, Jesus, protects us from eternal death and hell. I believe this all in my heart. All right. Amen. Daniel, it's upon your profession of faith that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. So I got David here with me. Stand up, David, so they can see you there. This is your church family. They all love you. All right. So uh, David came to me, and he's a little shy. It's, it's hard to, to speak in the mic. So he, he wrote this for me to read to you. So David says, I am getting baptized because I want to obey Jesus. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I have seen miracles in my family and know how amazing having God in your life is. That's David, everybody. Give him a... So, David, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross paying for your sins? Do you believe that he gave you his righteousness, his rightness with God? Okay. David, my brother, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mike here, Josh. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 through 13 says, Then shall ye call upon me, 
and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I wandered 36 years lost in my worldly ways. I was selfish and believed my life was something that I was entitled to, that I was in control, and what I wanted was all that mattered. I reached a point of being so broken and utterly defeated I could no longer continue. I began to pray, not out of selfishness or desperation, but out of surrender love. I prayed for forgiveness. I prayed God to use the rest of my life for his will. I had fully committed myself to him. It was after this prayer I found Jesus. He engulfed my life and changed me forever. From here on, I will continue to study his word. I will continue to grow closer to him and prepare myself to do the work he has ahead of me. I will always remain a loyal and humble servant to our living Father. Amen. He paid the price for you on the cross. He raised to life, giving you by faith his righteousness. Brother, it's upon your profession of faith that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, church, I love Baptism Sundays. Aren't they awesome? Can we just say amen to God one more time for our brothers and sisters who came to make that profession before all of us? You know, one of the things that they're saying is that they're joining this faith family in an official capacity. And so what we say when we cheer, but also when we witness, we say we are going to do everything within our influence to encourage you to Jesus at every point in your life. And so I hope you will join me in, in encouraging and discipling each of the five that came to share their faith with us this morning. <clears throat> if you're new here, my name is Shane. I'm pastor here at First Baptist Church. And before we jump into the passage, I just, there's so much to report to you, church, about what's going on and what God's doing. And so I just wanted to say this last week, we had our elder team and our finance committee come together. And as we know, finances are not always the funnest family meeting. Can I just say that? But you know what? I saw an elder board come together, and I saw our finance committee come together, and they worked on this budget. It went very late. Janice almost got home past her curfew. But we've landed on a budget that I think it takes bold steps for the future. It's also very fiscally responsible and God-glorifying in our finances. So I want to say thank you to our finance committee, our team, and then our, also our elder board team that came together to make that happen. Next week, we're going to release that budget so you guys can review. And then the following Sunday, even before our annual meeting, we just want to answer questions because there are some changes and some bold steps forward as we step into this world uh, in faith following Jesus. And so we want to make sure that everybody is on board and ready and understands where our budget is going because Jesus is our accountant. Amen? Jesus is our accountant. Uh, another another cool uh, kind of praise God. God provided our insurance covered. If you'll notice that there's a dump truck or a dump trailer right out the front door. Some of you had to walk around it. That was our roofing. Our roofing company came and patched up the roof so that we should have a dry in here, dry winter this this winter. So, amen that God provided for us to be able to do that. 
And then many of you have been seeing some of the changes happening outside of the parsonage, and we hope in, in many months to come that we'll be able to provide like an open house so everybody can see what God has been providing for as we make those changes to the parsonage. And my family personally thanks you for your support as we continue to remodel the parsonage. God is doing a lot of good things, and we've been in a series in the book of Mark, and it's been an incredible journey thus far. Yes, church? God has taught us a lot about this difference between heavenly thinking and earthly thinking. Heavenly thinking and earthly thinking. The heavenly kingdom versus the earthly kingdom that we might build. And we know that Jesus, starting in verse 8, began this march towards Jerusalem where he knew, he knew, and was willingly going to submit his life to a brutal death on the cross. And as he's walking there, his conversations with the disciples become very urgent, become very intense, become very purposeful because he has now a, a shorter time span as they're walking towards Jerusalem to get them ready to think in terms of the kingdom instead of in terms of earthly king instead of the earthly kingdom. And my question for you today was, how many of you find yourself easily distracted? Easily distracted, easily distracted. Well, see, when we're distracted, we can sometimes miss things that are right in front of us. And I, I just want to take a moment. How many of you are a mom or a wife? A mom or a wife? Hey, you people are amazing because you have, as soon as you become a mom or a wife, you have this God-given amazing new superpower known as seeing the things that we all miss that were right in front of us. Can I get an amen for that? Like when we go to the fridge as a guy, I'll open that fridge and I'll work, look for a half an hour. I'll forget what I was looking for. And I'll go, hey, babe, did you see it? She'll go, yeah, the pickles are right there to your right, dude. And I go, oh, see, miraculous, amazing power. It's like a superpower. Well, the disciples are walking on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, and they're missing it. Like many of us as men standing in front of the refrigerator or walking into the kitchen, we've completely got distracted by all the snacks in front of us. So the disciples have been completely distracted by all of the different occurrences on their walk to Jerusalem, and they're missing it. And here Jesus is trying to point out, guys, you need to remember why I came. I came and he reminds them three times. We've been through this dialogue, but I'm going to go back to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look where Jesus reminds them three times why he was here. And he states that he was here to die and to die on the cross. That was his top goal. That was his purpose. That was his purpose. And so today we're going to call it for the joy, for the joy, for the joy. Mark 8, 31 through 33, and uh, if that's too small for you, we have a lot of Scripture to go through, so it's a little smaller than usual, so pull out your Bibles. Mark 8, 31, 33 says this, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days... Rise again. Amen? And he said this plainly. He made it pretty obvious, didn't he? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! I've said this before. That's a pretty bad day at church when Jesus turns to you and says, Get behind me, Satan, right? You know, maybe you've stepped in it. Maybe you missed something. He says, For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Remember that earthly difference between the earthly difference and the heavenly way of thinking, the heavenly kingdom. See, for Jesus... The heavenly approach, the heavenly kingdom, meant dying a brutal death on the cross for our sins. More than the many miracles that he would do and take on the way to get there. And it's amazing to me that we have in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. uh, Sorry, wrong. No, right passage. Okay. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. And it says this. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings, or distraction, if you will, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How many of you have ever had to run uh, like a marathon? You ever had to run a marathon? Anybody, any of my cross-country people out there where you've had to run? There's kind of a mindset that you have to have, right, to run. And I wouldn't know. I asked my wife. She's run a 5K before. And she, I'm getting this directly from her. You, you have to have a mindset where you're going to finish. You have to set your face towards the goal of finishing this race because it would be easy to, to give up, wouldn't it? And so here, Jesus is encouraging, or sorry, the, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging believers to set our goal, to, to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, because, because, I want you to see this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, I want, I want to ask you, how many of you would be like, that sounds like a good time to me. I want to go and I want people to drive nails into my hands and into my feet while I hang on a cross. That sounds like a joyful time to me. How many of you would be like, that does, that's weird language, isn't it? So why would Jesus count it all joy to, as it says, that was set before him, endure the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? I want you to think about that. So Jesus' face was set. His goal was the cross. He knew what his trajectory was. Why on earth did he consider it joy? What did God not have? What did God not have? God has everything, yes? So the one thing that Jesus would win upon that cross was who? Us. Did you hear that? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus knew pain was coming, but he knew what he was going to be gaining by enduring that cross. You know who it was? You and I were the joy set before him that motivated him to endure the cross. Can I get an amen for that? Jesus considered it all joy to go straight to that cross, and he set his face towards that goal. His face was set and his goal was determined. And so the challenge for us out of that Hebrews verse is that we would be a people that because our God set his face towards the cross and towards the gospel. You guys know what the gospel is? The gospel literally means the good news that Jesus Christ paid the price for our us our sin on that cross and then he gave us his righteousness by faith and so when we believe and trust in Jesus that we are made sons and daughters of God that's the good news even though we were sinners 
We have been made right with God. That's the good news. So we need to be a people that set our face to the gospel. We need to be such a gospelly focused people that it inundates every aspect of our life, our work life, our play life, our family life. Every role we take on needs to be a role with which we are pointed and directed at the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to set our face. Like our Lord set his face to the cross, we set our face looking at, gazing at, and living for the, the gospel that changed us and that we saw on display in the five people who just got baptized. So that means that our goals must be submitted to the gospel. We must not get lost on the journey. See, the disciples, as they walk towards Jerusalem, there's been a lot of different things that have happened, right? And there's been a lot of potential to get distracted. Brothers and sisters, I want to caution you. I want to challenge you that there's going to be Many things trying to distract you from focusing and living and dwelling in and living out of the gospel in your life. Isn't there? There are a host of many things that might grab your attention. A lot of times they're good things, aren't they? They may be good things. Sometimes they're hurts and their needs. And, and I think about Jesus uh, when he was, uh, when a, a lady came and she poured uh, all of her alabaster perfume on the feet of Jesus. And I remember the disciples at that point, when they looked at it, they said, oh, how expensive was that perfume? We could have sold that, and we could have given that to the poor. And what did Jesus say? See, the poor will always be with you. What is he illustrating to us? That the church may be all about doing good things, but more than anything, we are about the gospel. And everything we do needs to be in line, needs to be pointed towards the gospel, because even good things can sometimes steer us in a direction of good things, but not God things, not gospel-centered things. Because again, Jesus's face was set to the cross. We need to make sure that we're filtering out all of the many distractions that keep us from that. So let me ask you here, as you're sitting here today, and I ask you, what distracts you from the gospel in your life? What pops into your head? What distracts you from beholding the gospel. Shout it out. What are some things? Pain. Anybody deal with pain? Yeah. What else? The to-do list. The to-do list can, can become such a tyrant in our lives that we forget to sit at the feet of Jesus. Yes. What else? Kids can be a distraction. Come on. Let me hear an amen, parents. Right? I'll tell you, it, you have to be able to manage those distractions and manage them well to be able to still sit at the feet of Jesus or have the right attitude about how your Jesus is teaching you the gospel through your kids. That's a hard one. What else? What else is a distraction? Homework. Brother, that's why you got to push through homework as quick as you can and do it well so you can get to the gospel. Am I right? I always tell my kids when I have a really, uh, like, I, I like food. Food is good. I'm a Baptist go hand in hand, right? But there are foods that I dislike. And when those foods that I dislike wind up in my food, I typically, and I tell my kids, here's my strategy. I'll eat the things I hate first so I can spend the rest of the meal enjoying, okay? So brothers and sisters, sometimes maybe the encouragement is to push through the hardship so that we can get to the goodness of life, which is dwelling on the gospel 
the good news of Jesus. We have in 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How many of you tend to get distracted? You do something that you know you can handle and that you enjoy, but have no real spiritual impact in your life and on your heart. And how many of you find that you're avoiding spiritual disciplines because the other things are just easier? Anybody do that? Anybody? Maybe that's just me. I see some head nodding, though. There's some honest people here in the audience this morning. Yeah, so a lot of times we can get so fixed on the things that we see that we miss that there are things eternal that we could be investing in. And we've talked about that through this this long process of venturing to the cross. And I always think about, I go back to Peter confronting Jesus. See, Jesus' face was set to the gospel, and his goal was determined, and he not even was detoured when a really well-meaning friend discouraged him from going to the cross. How many of us would continue to press into our relationship with Jesus if there was a well-meaning person that says, you need to just calm down about that Jesus stuff? You ever had somebody say that to you? You need to calm down about that Jesus. And they're well-meaning, well-meaning. And here, Peter's motivation for telling Jesus, no, Jesus, that's not for you. You're not going to go to the cross was what? He just wanted his friend to not die, to not be in pain. Sometimes the radical avoidance of pain actually leads you further away from what Jesus is doing in your life. Did you know that? Sometimes when we just seek out comfort and try to minimize the hard things in our life, we have a saying in the Rosty house, it's this, Rosties do hard things. Jesus was going to do a hard thing by giving his life for that of all of us who would place faith in him. And so he then turns to us and he says, now do likewise. Is there hardship in living the gospel? Does it cost us? Yeah. Sometimes it costs us good things, things that feel good. Sometimes it means that people are going to look not fondly on us, but more as a nuisance, yes? But we stand on the gospel nonetheless because our Savior set his face towards the cross. We set our face towards the gospel. And we are not dissuaded even by well-meaning friends. Maybe that well-meaning friend is you yourself. Have you ever given yourself permission to just, you know, I don't need to open my Bible today. I was talking to a brother actually today. He was like, you know what? My flesh was like, I don't want to come to church today. I don't want to be here. And he said, you know what? I'm here because God, God is more important than what I want. And God has bigger and better ideals for me than what I have. And so maybe he was speaking to that well-meaning friend who was actually himself that said, maybe a little bit of discomfort for you is good today if it means that you're going to be set towards the gospel. But there are many things that can steal, uh, steal the thoughts and concerns about the gospel, isn't there? So our faces must be set on the gospel, and our goals must be submitted to the gospel, to the gospel. Your goals this week, when I think about my weekly rhythms, do you set in, do you set your face towards the gospel? Do you make sure you schedule in your time with the Lord, your time to share the gospel, your time to be in prayer with God? Or is that the thing that you tend to leave for the last, the last little bit? You schedule everything else in. You schedule your work. You schedule your dinners. You schedule everything else. And if there's anything left, then what? Then you'll give it to the Lord. And when you get to the end, what happens? 
I don't have anything left. I don't have anything left. See, what if we instead on the front end said, the highest priority for me, I'm setting my face on the gospel. And I'm scheduling in because it's important to me. I want to gaze and behold the gospel in the scriptures. And I want to be with God's people, so I'm going to schedule that in. And I'm going to make sure that the things that are of spiritual and unseen value have a high priority in my life instead of a low priority in my life. Because the encouragement in Hebrews is to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This idea is that if something is holding you back from pursuing Christ in your life, that you would be willing to cut it off, to let it go, so that you can move more towards Jesus. Some of you need to do that today, don't you? You know exactly what that thing is that you need to cut off so that you can pursue, you can lay aside every weight and every encumbrance so you can pursue the gospel. Some of you know exactly what that is. Listen to the Lord and what he's telling you in that. Because we pursue things that are eternal, things unseen. For the things that are seen are what? He says transient here. Transient here. How many of you have seen that? That you spend time investing and then you, you go, what happened to my week? Anybody else there? Excuse me. Where you get to doing all these things and, and some of you, uh, let's just be honest, when you're staring at those screens, they're like little time machines. Where you sit down and you start to do the endless scroll and you wake up about two hours later and you're like, what happened to my time? <clears throat> we know that those are transient investments, but we want to be people who invest in the unseen. Let's continue on. So the second time that Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, disciples, don't miss this. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, Mark 9, 30 through 32. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. I want you to think about this. Jesus turned away distractions, didn't he? And sometimes distractions are people. Would there be good ministries that Jesus could do on their walk towards Jerusalem? He had the power to heal. He could, he could stop through a leprous colony and just be like, hey guys, you're all better. But instead of spending all that time and getting bogged down in what might be good goals, what did he do? He set his face towards the cross. And he avoided even good distractions. He didn't want anyone to know he was walking through Galilee. Did you see that? He did not want anyone to know. Why didn't he want anyone to know? Because he was prioritizing his pursuit of the disciples and going to the cross. Brothers and sisters, he was, he was focused. He was focused. How often are we distracted? And because he wanted the disciples focused like he was and undistracted, he wanted them awake. I think of Psalms. Let's see if I have it. Psalms 119, 148 says, My eyes are, say that with me, awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. There are too many Christians today that are asleep at the wheel, aren't there? We're going through the motions. We're living life. We're getting distracted by the pursuits of everyday life, and we're forgetting that we have a heavenly calling. What's the heavenly calling of a believer? It's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, go into all the world, right? It says, go and make disciples. 
Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If you're here and you profess to be a believer, in order to be awake, you have to be actively pursuing this idea of making disciples. That's how you stay awake. You remember your purpose. So when you go to work, your highest goal is not just to make ends meet, though it may be a pretty good goal. Your goal is also there to what? Make disciples. When you're out on the, the golf nine, your highest goal is not to get a hole in one, but what is it? It's to make disciples. Brothers and sisters, and where's my brothers at? I know you've been hunting. Your highest goal is not to get the biggest buck so you can brag to your friends. Well, that's an ad admirable, admirable pursuit. Almost couldn't say that word. But part of your hunting goal is to be what? Making disciples. Making disciples. Do you see God's blessed us with all of these many things, but not so that we would forget our pursuit of the gospel, our pursuit of the gospel, because we want to be a people that stay awake, because now is more than any other time before us, it's important to stay awake. Amen? Are there things happening in the world that we need to be aware of, and we need to be awake in making disciples, I'm going I'm to argue that yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, the Bible tells us that we need to be sober-minded. Do you read this? 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This sounds oddly familiar. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, he's talking to the believer, always be what? Sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. He's, of course, talking to Timothy there. But that idea of being sober-minded, not being distracted, making the main thing the main thing. When I was hired here, one of the big questions were, how do you make sure that you keep the main thing the main thing? You know what my answer is? I shout the gospel all the time. Maybe you've heard me. I talk about the gospel all of the time. There should be nobody that attends our church that doesn't clearly know how to articulate the gospel. That is my goal. So if somebody came to you today and said, how do I become a Christian? Could you answer them without saying, I'll, I'll introduce you to my pastor first? Don't do that. I, I'd love to meet him. But you know what? What if, what if, you fulfilled the Great Commission like you were called to? What if they sat at your dinner table and you were able to share with them the good news that could change their eternity? What if they sat at your dinner table? What if they sat in your living room? This is the movement of the church, and this is, brothers and sisters, how we stay awake in a day and age that wants to distract us with politics, with war, with things going on all over the world. How do we keep the main thing the main thing? We preach the gospel to ourselves and to others continually, continually. <laughs> He didn't want anyone to know. He didn't want to get bogged down by unnecessary distractions. And he also wanted the disciples to be undistracted. Up until this point, from chapters 8 all the way to 10, what has happened? As they're walking to the cross on this road to Jerusalem and to Jesus' death, we've already seen a demoniac, a demon-possessed kid, that the disciples couldn't cast out this demon. We've seen ego it was a distraction where the disciples were arguing over who's the greatest or who's going to sit at the right hand of God. There's been competition 
where that's been a distraction, where the disciples are like, hey, those guys are preaching Jesus too, and we don't like it. And Jesus says, let them be alone. As long as they're preaching the gospel, they're, they're good to go. Don't worry about them. So that spirit of competition was a distraction. How about things? We talked about this. Are money and wealth and things a distraction? Yeah, and so on the road through Jerusalem, the disciples are finding all of these distracting topics, and all the while, Jesus is trying to remind them that that's good and all well is good, but remember, what is the highest and most important goal for us? The gospel, the cross. We talked about divorce. Anybody have rough relationships that tend to distract you from your pursuit of the gospel? I, I put in here adulting. <laughs> Anybody adulting is pretty distracting, amen? And what did Jesus respond to the disciples? He said, let the kids come to me. Let the kids come to me, that we are children of God. Do you remember that? What is he saying? Don't be so distracted by being an adult and being serious that you don't come honestly to your Father in heaven who loves you. Self-righteousness, anybody have that? The self-righteous people will raise their hand right now and be like, yep, I have that. Self-righteousness, and that's where we talked about this idea of the rich young rich young ruler. He came and he said, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That can be a distraction, can it, from the gospel? Because what's the gospel? I'm not a good person. I need Jesus. That's the gospel, isn't it? And then they were distracted again by things and by wealth. And when he got them through these many distractions, he all but grabs their face and explains the gravity of what's coming. And this is third time where Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. It's like he just puts himself in the road and he says, guys, I need you to lean in here and listen to me. Quit getting distracted. Quit going from one next crisis to the other. I need you to hear me on this. And what does he say? And this is the third time that he talks about his death. And he says, Mark 10, 32. This is the third and final time on the road to Jerusalem. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was asking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed, I think this is interesting. And those who followed were afraid. So Jesus is walking ahead of them. You ever had this where, and, and I was a trouble kid in high school. And the, you'd get your name called and the principal would come and get you. And he had to walk down the hallway to his office. Anybody remember that walk of like horror? Where you were walking behind your principal, you're like, I know I'm going to get it. They're going to call mom. I'm in trouble. And you're walking behind the whole time, and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, right? So you kind of get this picture of this, like, group of junior high boys following Jesus, like, ah, I'm headed to the principal's office. What is he going to say? We're afraid of what's going on here. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was happening, what was going to happen to him, saying, see, see. Some of your translations will say, listen. I know, parents, you've said that to your kids, yeah? Why do you say that? Because they're not listening. Listen, you're going to miss it. He intensely says, listen, we are going to up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He will rise. I talk to my kids all the time about this thing called read the room. We call it, say it, and they're rolling their eyes at me here, read the room, right? And this idea that there's a time to be jovial, yes. There's a time to be silly, yes. But sometimes there's, there's a time to get serious, to sit up straight, to make sure that you're paying attention and that you're listening. 
And here Jesus seems to go out of his way to say, listen, now is the time to listen to me on this because this is our highest pursuit, the most important direction that we are headed. There is nothing casual about the tone that Jesus is taking here, yes? He says, listen, so much so that they were afraid of him. So much so that they were afraid of him. There is nothing casual about Jesus' tone here. And we need to understand, sometimes I feel like we have a, a, a bit of a misunderstanding about Jesus, where Jesus is kind of tenderly just like kind of tr- trying to co-opt us and gently just convince us to come and follow him. And that's true. He lovingly does that. But also, there's a strong plea. Follow me now. Now is the time. Listen to me now. And we get this perspective of Jesus. He's just kind of this little old man that's like, you can come with me if you want to. And I think we miss reading the room on this passage that Jesus is being here intense. And he says, follow me. This is going to cost you. This is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be hard. But we are working towards something that is beyond what you can see. It's an unseen value. It's a heavenly reward. It's a heavenly perspective that I don't want you to miss here. The gospel is profound. And to be lived for in every second of our lives. And it's not to be forgotten. We need to read the room in our lives and remember and remember that the highest pursuit for a believer is the gospel in every aspect of their life. Here's why I think that's important, brothers and sisters. The times are urgent. What does urgency mean? What does urgency mean? It means, like, it's going down now. That this applies now. I think so many of us are like, you know, Jesus may come back someday or another. Guys, I think that there are some real biblical things to look at in our world today. There might be some biblical prophecy that's being fulfilled in front of our very eyes. It's time to sit up in our chair and go, I'm listening, Lord. It's time to say, I'm listening. What are you saying? What we are about to face, I believe, will require us to stay focused on the gospel in light of the and in light of and despite the times that we are walking into. I just want to spend a, a quick second, and I'm not really big on this. I'm, I'm not about talking about politics, but sometimes things are just, they need to be addressed. They need to look, and, and we need to see what's going on in the world because it has to do with what's going on in Scripture. Many of you have seen that Israel was attacked, yes? Have you seen the headlines? You've seen this idea not just this idea, but the horrendous things, the violence that happened in Israel when Hamas attacked. And I think we need to understand that just maybe something's going on in, a, in the spiritual and unseen realms. Something's going on that we need to understand. It's urgency. And just as Jesus takes this this tone of urgency, I think we need to sit up and we need to look at the times and we need to say this world needs the gospel now more than ever. Our neighbors need the gospel now more than ever. They need Christians to step up and live the good news now more than ever. Just as an explanation, the, uh, the word Hamas, did any of you do any research on what the word Hamas means or could mean as far as when it's used in Scripture? It means violence. It means violence. I saw, and as I did uh, some research, we know that this is an age-old conflict, Yes. It was between two sons. It started in the time of Abraham, yes? Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. And we know that when Ishmael and Isaac were brought into the world, Isaac was the son of promise. Ishmael came because man didn't want to wait on God's promises. 
And from the seed of Ishmael, we know that God's prophecy was that he would be a wild man like a donkey, always at war with his brother, Isaac, the son of promise. And we're seeing that lived out here today in, in front of our very eyes, biblical prophecy talking about the two seeds, the sons of Isaac, which is Israel, and the sons of Abraham. But this, I'm going to call it a spirit of Hamas, this violence has been between these two for many, many years. But we need to understand that this violence leads us to what also Bible prophecy tells us is the last days or the return of our Lord. And I'm not saying there's conflict in Israel, Jesus is coming again, but it is a, a warning for us to say this really could be the fulfillment of prophecy. There's prophecies in Ezekiel 38 and, and talking about Gog and Magog, and there's some potential forces here that we need to be aware of, we need to be ready for. And it's really out of straight out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2, and I want to leave you with this. This is why we need to have our faces set. How many of you were caught off guard by COVID? Anybody? Okay. It was hard not to be caught off guard. How many of you feel like the church was very much caught off guard? See, I believe that time of COVID just showed us how distracted we have become as the believers of Christ. We're not about the gospel anymore. We're about comfy churches. We're about entertainment. We want to be made feel, oh, wait, we want our ears tickled. We want pastors and preachers to tell us how good we are. We, we want to be flattered by our pastors. I'm not going to go to a church where they tell me the truth and that I need to change and follow Jesus. I want to go to a church that's going to tell me I have everything that I need and I'm a good person. But we were, we were so, I believe, asleep when that hit that it just showed us our values. And I think the world we're walking into is just going to continue to do that. It's going to barrage us with, here you have been distracted. Here you have been distracted in the church. If we don't become gospelly focused, I want you to hear 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, are we in times and seasons, brothers and sisters? You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a what? Like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. Are you prepared to expect the unexpected? Because believers, we're ready for the Lord to come at any moment. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says, while people are saying there is peace and security. Have you heard this uh, on the news sometimes? Like, man, they'll get up, we're, we're having another peace summit. We can all kind of roll our eyes a little bit, right? We're having another peace summit. Well, people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. I can't get the images, brothers and sisters, of this group of people in Israel at this music festival. And for them to be young people at this music festival and looking up in the sky and seeing these little parachutes coming down that are about to kill them and to rain fire down on them, the kind of horrendous demonic violence that was brought upon them in that day were those unexpected, and many did not escape. But see, the Bible calls those labor pains. There's supposed to be a heads up. There's supposed to be a wake-up call to us, brothers and sisters, that we got to be a people that live the gospel, that speak the gospel, that are in love with the gospel, because this world needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And we may be in the last days. This might be our final chances. I don't know. But I believe that these are wake-up calls to us. But you, brothers and sisters, you who are in the light, who have received the gospel, you are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, 
We're not in darkness. For you are all what? We've said this over and over, church. We're children of the light. We're children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not what? Let us not fall asleep. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. This is too important, as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet and the hope of salvation. For God has not... i got to get through this passage. You see this church... He has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain something so far beyond our reach, to obtain a salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the truth that we cling to. That is the gospel that we live by, and we live by with an urgency. We cannot afford to continue to be distracted. It's too important who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage, I love this, encourage, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Do you see how we stay awake, brothers and sisters? The encouragement is to don't lose focus. Stay on target. Don't forget that we are marching to the cross of Christ where we were set free from our sin. Let us never, never forget. So, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with this. Stay focused on the gospel. Stay focused. Keep coming back to the gospel. If you got distracted yesterday, it doesn't matter. God's mercies are new every morning. Get back to the gospel. Come back to church. Identify and eliminate those distractions and intensely pursue Jesus. I want to leave you with two words, pursue and proclaim. Pursue Jesus with every fiber in your being and proclaim the gospel with every ounce of energy that you have. Because we are fighting an unseen battle. Pursue and proclaim. Pursue and proclaim. Small groups, the question for you this week is, how do I keep the gospel at the forefront in this season? How do I keep the gospel at the forefront of my life in this season? Brothers, let me urge you. Let me urge you. Keep the gospel at the forefront. Because what we may be witnessing are just merely birth pains of the return of our Lord someday soon. And I believe that day is ever approaching, isn't it? I'm going to have uh, Jennifer come forward, and I just want to give you a minute while she prays. Our elders will grab the offering place, but before we do offering, I just want to minimize the distractions. Would you spend a minute doing business with God of the universe? If you're here today and you haven't professed faith in Jesus, let today be the day of your salvation. It says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and it says you will be saved. You will be made awake, Christian. I believe that you can get into a dark spot, and I believe you can get very distracted. Here's your wake-up call. The Scriptures don't lie, and Jesus' tone is serious. Now is the time to respond to the gospel call and live it out. Just spend a minute doing business with God. Lord, we pray a prayer of forgiveness. God, would you forgive us where we've been asleep? Would you forgive us when we've been distracted, God, when we've been pursuing the world instead of living out of the kingdom? And so, God, I pray that you would do a great work in us, changing our hearts. Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you. Let today be the day of their salvation, Lord Jesus, I pray and ask that. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.